imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp nails. Confidence of a hero or fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's the real world, I choose to go my life to. That's okay. It means something, it means something. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, 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 indeed it is. It is a science thing, it is a science place, it is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only protonic reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, and additionally, welcome to it. This here is uh, episode 284 of Protonic Reversal. And uh, yeah, special guest for tonight uh, is, is an, incredible, an incredible artist and crafter of not just of sound, but of, of things, of, of actual devices and machines that are often used to make sound. Uh, you may know him as author and punisher. Uh, Tristan, Tristan Schoen, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, uh, this is a release eve for you too. Again, the, at the personal, whenever people are consuming the show, you know, uh, at, at the time of this recording, it's release eve. Yeah, it's one of those nights. It happens like once every three years. So <laughs> release um, eve comes once a year. On it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get your release eve presents already, or do you wait till the morning of the release? No, sorry. I'm uh, I'm I'm imbibing on it right now. There you cheap. go. Oh. <laughs> fantastic and it's uh this, this is a this is a cool I, I this is a cool record i enjoyed the the video that came out in uh quite a bit uh in december the, that came out uh, i think most folks also would be satisfied enough with the music uh i love and i mean love 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 that you also have uh the drone machines coming most people would not like be releasing devices as well and i think that that's fantastic uh I, I I saw that I was like, "Holy crap!" And also, of course, if that makes sense, and, and I mean both of those things as a uh, as a compliment. So so, obviously, you've been crafting your own devices for for quite some time. Uh, you to to make the, the music that you make as author and Punisher. It seems like a great merch table item for a very specialized set of, of uh, fan for sure. Uh, but what what was the thought process behind going this route? Is it like, hey, we made this cool things, you know, like share it with the world in a way that's beyond the music. Like, what how, what led you to this? You mean just for? Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you sound fantastic. Yeah. Okay, great. I think we got it fixed on the echo cancellation. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, drum machines have been something I started making when I was in uh, in grad school at UCSD. You know, I was just trying to find my my path in terms of like making visual art. You know, I was always playing metal bands, but I was an engineer as well, and uh, that part of the creative side of me, I was trying to find that. And so I went uh, working in a, in a 
fucking lab, Corning, clean room, bunny suit, uh, that whole deal just like sucked the life out of me. And right. um, also trying to play in a band, like tour two weeks a year. So going back to art school um, was the thing. And I had some people that influenced me and said, hey, you can, you can build robotic sculpture and use the skills that you have in a more creative way. I didn't know it was gonna mean making musical instruments. So uh, when I was at school, I was sort of like building speakers and playing guitar and drum machine. And that slowly turned into like, hey, I could, I could start building these sort of like big airplane throttles. And, and I started to slowly replace all the instruments with, with actual controllers. Um, these sort of really uh, ball bearings and machining steel and CNC machining and this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's just been once I, once I figured that out, and I got rid of my guitar and all that. I just, uh, I never looked back. And um, the new album is a, I've started a company and I was sort of making these things. And, um, and that's sort of, the, that's sort of the culmination of all those years, you know? Well, and the tactile controls too, that that's so kind of unique in, uh, when you have the, the, the use of technology for like, you know, one person doing like a lot of things, uh, usually it's like they're, they're sequence things, et cetera, et cetera. What, what I like so much about it is that so much of it is, is it's like literally you're doing a thing that, that does a thing. Like you're pulling like the, the lever and like a, a, a thing is like grinding away. And, and like, it, it's like the truest sense of not that I would be reductive enough to say industrial, but the idea of like the original concept of it rather than as like a genre of music. And the only other band I can think of that really does that is Reptoid. Like Jordan builds all his own stuff as well. And uh, it's a lifestyle choice is what it really seems like to a certain degree. Uh yeah, I think I basically like electronic music, and I consider myself an electronic musician. Although I play like more guitar-based yeah. sounded music, you know, doom metal is not usually electronic. Although you're seeing a lot more now, which is exciting. Um, but like, it's typically like knob boxes and grids of buttons, and a lot of menus, and a lot of looking down and like using your fingers. And I don't know if it's my the way my brain works, but I guess I'm more caveman. I'm more hands-on. <laughs> I yeah. hate dealing with those knob boxes and there's nothing, you can't rock out on stage by pressing a tiny button and spinning a tiny knob. And for me, the aggressive heavy music that we play calls out for large body sized movements. And for me, that's how I, and a lot of people that express themselves, you know, that's how we work in a machine shop. That's how we work on a car. That's how we work in our yard. We do things that are the size of our body. So that's, for me, that's the way I, that's the, that's the idea behind drone machines. Well, and it's, it, it is something that is so unique, but it does make for a fun show. Like it is something where, yeah, you're not just watching a dude, you know, dude, you know, play music, play set <laughs> at all. And there is the, uh, there's the possibility of, of things not necessarily working exactly as intended as well, which oh, is, that never happens. <laughs> Which is part of the excitement, right? I mean, that's what makes a live show a live show. So that is a common occurrence. It's a nightmare. Uh, it's it's almost to the point when I, I show up at a venue, if I'm in a really good mood, oh, they got a good beer on tap, oh, they got great food, and I get too relaxed and I don't have the anxiety of something breaking, and, they, <laughs> and then the show goes terribly wrong. I have to be in a state of total pain and ang anxiety to make the show work. You have to you have to be as much in inner turmoil as the riffs that are being pumped out into the audience, or it doesn't quite yeah, work. To stay on top of the amount of wires and things that are connected. Well, and so that's 
I mean, is it just muscle memory at this point? Uh, like, yes. <laughs> I feel like you could film a documentary on your setup and breakdown process, and it would be relatively entertaining. Well, I have to say, I spent about equal amount of time uh, wiring up like racks and, uh, you know, making sure that I have the proper, I don't know, strain relief, all the dorky things that like you don't want to think about. But I spent as much time thinking about that as I do practicing, you know, the, the actual music. Yeah, <laughs> music. And, and honestly, it's kind of a cop out. I really should be practicing more. Um, because that's so that's that's another thing that you know you're you're in a rash on of folks that since you craft your own things that how do you divide the time between working on the craft of music and working on the craft of the of of the machines of the devices to make the music like where do you where and if do you draw the line and how? Well, I'd say like in the last few years, I, I really I've sort of pulled back on the development of machinery because I sort of hit this sort of. Uh, this moment, this crossover point where I realized that like, I've sort of found a sweet spot for how I like to play and mm -hmm. you know, developing drastically different machines would take me years to learn how to play. So I have something that I can play my drums with really well. And I'm not going to change that now. Because and it's have, you, you have it and, and it does the thing you want to do. And you're exploring that as an instrument, really. Right. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to develop uh, other things that will make drums, but I may not use them. I will develop them for other people because I have a lot of ideas and I've tried out other ones. I've built four other devices that play drums that I don't use because I like this one that I built. Um, and now with the company developed, we can, we can make things that are ideas that we have, but they don't have to be part of my setup. I have to say, I've really, I used to be much more of a noise musician and a drone musician, but now I'm much more of a you know, I want to play songs, you know, I want to sing, I want to, I want to craft music live. And sometimes having a bunch of devices and complexity and masks that are as much as that might be fun for the audience to watch it. it it's chaos. It's not going to sound good. I trust me. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, what I was going to say on the, on this latest release there, there's a lot more melody, you know, than, than maybe from earlier stuff. And just from a sheer logistics standpoint of having a thing on your face, you know, it's sometimes you're not going to be able to get it out necessarily as, as much as say Tony Bennett would or something. Right. I mean, oh, well, I, that's great. Uh, even to be mentioned in the Tony Bennett, you yeah. know, that awesome Punisher Tony Bennett, but you don't hear that. Every day. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah. that, so that was a conscious choice, right? You you were like, Hey, let's, let's lay into this piece of it and try well, I think it. what happened was after getting back from the tool trip and, and having you know I brought the best you know sound and lighting and, and, and people along with me on that tour in addition to having their crew being able to talk to them every night and say hey what did you guys think hey I'm having trouble hearing the vocals on this part or the bass is so heavy and right. I actually got to listen to Maynard's um, vocal mix through my monitors for a show and I really got to hear what he hears, you know, like, because I was having some issues when the bass is really heavy, like, where are my vocals? And so that, when you have that kind of uncertainty, singing light vocals over heavy music is difficult because it's hard to pick out the pitches when you're just like flooded with bass. You're like, whoa, I can't even hear anything. Yeah. And so hearing, hearing how they craft the mix in his ears so that he can sing, of course, he can probably sing perfectly anyway, but for me, they do everything they can to to help him and it really helped. And by the end of that tour, I could hear my pitch and vocals getting better. And so when I got home after that tour, I was like, oh, okay, 
I think I can do that thing I've been wanting to do, which is, you know, be a little bit more melodic with my vocals. So, so a couple things. First of all, with that, there's a certainly a huge difference between a sound system that you're playing with at an arena that is, you know, has every possible thing you could imagine and playing, you know, awesome art space that maybe the, the PA is, we'll just charitably say less than awesome. Uh, yeah. So, so it can be a bit of a luxury as far as that goes, but yeah, not to bury the lead. That was the tour that you were on when the COVID hit. I'm exactly. not sure if you're aware of this, Tristan, but <laughs> yeah. we missed uh, three or four shows. We got through 20 or there's 20 or so shows. And then up in Portland, I was sitting in a hotel like, Oh crap. And I drove back by myself. And we just, uh, when did you when did it occur to you that like oh this is getting real like when when was when was that moment well i had a really bad hangover the night after uh portland show at the moda center and uh i you know we woke up and we were fist bumping you know elbow bumping instead of hugging and these types of things and i went to home depot and bought like some respirator thing and bought a pizza and uh was in my hotel and like not touching the knob, you know, in the, you know, in the shower, all this kind of crap. That was it. You know, that's what happened. Yeah. That's crazy. And those it's, it seemed from the outside that those were, you know, shows, I mean, obviously there's a huge shows and you know, you're, you're, when you're doing something like author and Punisher, it's, it's not necessarily by design for everybody, but by sheer metrics of the amount of people you're playing for, there's going to be a, a certain amount of people that have never heard of it. Like, Hey, this is cool. Uh, but by the same token, that's a lot of people. These are huge shows. Like we didn't know super spreader events were a thing necessarily in, in the parlance of reality, but those were ostensibly super spreader events without anyone knowing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, later on we found out that Maynard even had, uh, had COVID, and we didn't know, or maybe he didn't know, maybe he found out through antibody tests or something. I, I have no idea. It was news to us, but uh, we didn't really see him anyway because he, he, he sort of is a little bit more isolated. But yeah, we didn't know of any, we weren't worried about it at that time. You know, yeah. even in Australia, we weren't worried. I should have been, probably. But. It, well, in retrospect, it seems obvious, but at the time, yeah. it absolutely was not. There was... <laughs> It was nobody. If they, if somebody said they had it all figured out, they were just the kind of person that's always going to say they already had it all figured out because nobody did. Luckily, uh, I mean, the, the, we were pretty isolated up on stage, but, and um, uh, I don't know. Now thinking about going back and touring, it, it's certainly a. Um, it's been. I can't believe it's been this long. You know. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm not. I'm nervous. It's like back in, uh, I don't know, first time I ever went to Europe or something. I really, I, I feel like I'm, it's four weeks away and I'm nervous as hell for this tour. I'm excited, but I'm like a little kid, you know? I mean, I think the, the, the one good thing is that people aren't going to take it for granted as much, I think. Right. I mean, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like you, that, that person who's like, I don't know. They, there's always like some fan that, that writes to you forever online for like months before the show. Like, Dude, what's what's the start time? What's the set list? Oh, blah blah blah. They're going to be t-shirts, and then they don't show up. Yeah, I'll there's try. Always, every show, there's somebody like that. And you're like, oh, why? Why do I? Why do I bother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and it's funny. So you mentioned. So you so we were talking about uh, you know going to Europe and stuff. It, it occurs to me that like. You're not going to just, you're not just putting a guitar in like a, in a flight case and like, and checking it, you know, like this is, 
what is it from, from a pure logistical standpoint? How do you get your apparatus from point A to point B when it's like a fly, fly out, fly in situation? Man, how much time do you have? <laughs> we got all the time, all the time in the world, man. <laughs> you tell <It's>, me. <laughs> I've actually most of my instruments have changed their design because I needed to figure out how to have you know the minimal amount of bags in a 50 pound 62 linear inch pelican case because yes you can go huge but pretty soon if you're doing like fly-in festivals and stuff it's just unaffordable you get a thousand dollars for the festival but you're spending like 15 to 2,000 on the bag so i had three bags and then and then for me like so the, the, the instruments are designed in cad with the materials so i know exactly how much it's going to weigh in the case and then you got cables and all this stuff and then you got merch um and when you're traveling by yourself i have a guitar player now so like we can split the bags up a little bit and i store and then tables tables for me because in europe you've got these really strong dj tables because electronic music is like is like a much more lucrative industry so you have these really strong aluminum tables with the legs screw in so when you bolt my instruments to it and i'm slamming on it it's not sliding across the room so or breaking I yeah. having, finding these like German tables by this company Butech. We drove way out of the way on tour, bought these tables. I store them over there and they bolt together. And when I go to a festival, it's like, if you don't have these tables, I'm not playing because otherwise I'm going to be, it's going to slide off the stage. You know, those plastic roll, you know, the U S needs to up their table game. <laughs> And I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing that pisses me off more. Like it ruins my night. If I show up and, and somebody's like, well, we've got this like old, there was a schoolhouse and we got this desk. You can yeah. bolt to that. And I got C clamps and I'm bolting and I'm bent over trying to hit the instrument. Yeah. It sounds no. like a nightmare. Yeah. That's well, that's, I mean that, cause that's the thing is that I, I think folks that don't play, don't understand like those kinds of logistics. Right. And, and I guess like there's sort of the, the more stripped down, easy to understand one would be like, the cinder block that has to go in front of the bass drum or something along those lines. So it doesn't scoot across the floor, but that stuff makes a difference. They bring you those little bags like, Oh, we've got these. And it's like this little sandbag that they use for like a photo stand. And I look at them like, ah, that, that's not that's, going to work. <laughs> that's not going to fly in this man's army. No. Like, I need like three kegs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So put the kegs. Uh, is this filled with dark matter, sir? Cause otherwise that's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. What kind of beer is this? You know, <laughs> maybe Belgian, a double, a triple stout or whatever. But so the tables, the tables are a surprisingly big part of of being able to successfully put on the show. Is is what it sounds like. Well, the original ones were welded. I, I used like steel and I welded them, but obviously, like that was like early day drum machines. I did bring those machines on the, the tool tour, but I try not to bring those out. It's it's a nightmare. It's very heavy to lift like 300 pound disc and you know they bolt to this like butcher block top but you know you need a light tables that i can spec and i can tell the promoter like hey can you have these tables you know yeah well, that's a huge part and you know i i have a set at my parents house on the east coast i have a set here and i have a set in europe that i store and um you know and it's you know you want you don't want to look you got these instruments that are finely tuned machine things and then you put them on a you know, the pedestal needs to look, you know, equal to the instrument, you know, 
and <laughs> right. You don't want to no. be on like a, a, a uh, like one of those child card tables with like the, like the, the fold out with the blue, the blue yeah, tie. Yeah, and like the stands <laughs> you can buy at Guitar Center. I was going into these like Home Depot equivalents. I figure I, I can't remember what they're called now in, in like Germany and stuff, and, and and going in and like trying to find like sawhorses. I can't tell you how many hardware stores I've been to in Europe trying to find the right stuff, and just like it's ruined the whole trip for me sometimes. I just yeah. can't find the tables. Because you're basically on a quest. And then also even trying to get across what you're trying to do, I'm yeah. sure is just like a challenge. Well, why would you want to do that? Like, I just... And Europeans are very, are very as maybe you've heard, are very uh, honest. Germans will come right. up to you and tell you, like, if you're playing on the wrong table, that's obviously not the right thing. Right. They'll come up to you, uh, excuse me, um, I just wanted to say that um, I think maybe you need some better tables in like... <laughs> At the end of the night, when I dropped the instrument, I tipped over, and then I'm like, oh, oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. T-shirts yeah, yeah. are over there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, a pants load. But your set was great, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or my, my, yeah, my favorite is the, uh, uh, actually, you were better last time, but this was okay. Oh. This was okay. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so you you and you kind of dropped it as a just as an aside but you you are you have another person the band you have a guitar player that playing that for for i mean as usually a a man that is sort of like quintessentially known as like one of the one-man bands it isn't the you know bass drum on the back and cymbals on the on the knees one-man band but like the one-man band the fact it's one guy doing everything and it is usually a guy (laughs) but 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 you, yeah, have, you, that, you know the Melvins. They always had a different um, bass player. Yep. Um, and there's like legends in there, like uh, of who the certain bass players were. But I have had about three other guitar players. I had a drummer for a while, but all like pre two thousand like eight two thousand nine. Pretty early on, yeah. Pretty early on, and uh, which is weird to be like uh, that's early on now, but whatever. Times a oh, yeah. flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then this 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 album was just um, the producer um, Jason Began and I, like, who's also my partner in Drone Machines. He was started playing a lot of the synth stuff, and I would write some parts, and he, and he would run them through this like giant plethora of gear, and so that was cool. And then uh, Phil Scrosso, who's my manager, who also plays in As I Lay Dying, and we've been friends for a long time, and he, uh, I said, hey, could you play a lead on this track? And he did. And uh, he just sort of added some other elements and, you know, not, we were thickening up the low end a little bit, but I pretty much got that covered. Yeah. But he started adding some more, you know, ambient upper stuff and leads and just like little filling in the gaps. And it was, oh man, it was like immediately like, oh man, this is what we needed. You know, this, the mid high kind of like between hit what he did and what Jason did, it was like, it made all the difference. You know, I can just focus on what's down low and the rhythm and the vocals and uh it's better because i'm not trying to do things with two hands and holding things out and so now doug 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 sabolic who's plays an ecstatic vision he used to play in a life once lost um is my guitar player now and he'll be he'll be touring with me so uh, i'm pretty excited about that and of course more people means you can have them check bags and so you don't have to pay two hundred dollars for 
for a checked a check box, right? <laughs> exactly. I might even let him use one of the tables because he's gonna. I'm gonna. Also, like he's some of the instruments. Um, I could at least in the U.S. where we can take things in a van. I could bring yeah. some, and he could actually play some parts on the instruments too. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, so is this, of course, by doing so and by involving other people, uh, there are things that are going to be outside your control. Is there any kind of like letting go process that you have to do for that, knowing that it's you know normally it's it's your vision, right? It's like the thing that lives in your head as much as it lives outside as as sound. Well, I mean the the parts that that Phil and Jason wrote. I mean, like, I wish I could have kept everything they wrote. I mean, it was all like. I, I didn't cut that much, you know? Yeah. I we really kept a lot of what they did. Phil just has known me forever. He, he knew the parts and he, everything he wrote was great. Loved it. And, and uh, even, you know, just the sort of swagger of some of the parts being like, I don't know, just like jumping out there and saying, hey, this is the first author and Punisher, like lead, guitar lead. Um, yeah. Or the, the, the cover, uh, the, the guitar lead on the Portishead cover. Um, I oh, just, uh, just, uh, glory box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly the lead that's on the, on the record. Um, because we slowed the song down by like a lot. And so like he was playing the real lead and it just sounded ridiculous. So he kind of wrote a new one, Yeah, but it had the same kind of, I don't know, melancholic descendant like vibes. And, uh, it was really cool. I, I think, uh, sorry, it's my dog in the background. Um, when's my guest appearance? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I yeah, I think it'll be really uh, – I'm not worried about any sort of control things. Like Doug and I have known each other. He's got his own band. He knows this is my thing, and he is just there to, to, to help it along. And that's what's nice is, like, the low end is already there. So it's really – he's there for texture and for melody, you know. So it's uh, – that's a relief, you know. We're going to make things sound great without – it's not going to be the kind of thing where like, man, I wish the guitar, he would turn the guitar down or this guitar <laughs> won't it's, shut the fuck up. It's just shredding over everything, you know, it's like, oh, God, <laughs> it's enough. We did cut the wah pedal out, you know, but right. he plays in a psych band. So, you know, I get it. <laughs> well, and there's, it's a pretty lush record. Uh, and of course we're talking, we're talking about the, the, the new one here, um, cooler. And it's, there's a lot there's a lot of uh, layers to it right which isn't to say that like everything was like uh you know super minimalist before necessarily but i think it, it lends itself well to the extra instrumentation uh do, i mean do you have you talked about you know no way to really cut anything out was it was it difficult when you're sitting there and, and finishing the arrangements and, and mixing and whatnot like to figure out like okay that is great but is you know does it it distracts from this other thing that needs to be doing at that time and i guess more explicitly was putting this one together any different i mean circumstantially it's going to be different because it's during the covid and during quarantine but were you approaching it differently than the other records well i feel like every record has its own kind of interesting set of circumstances and i think back to um for, let's just work backwards beastland was was in between album cycles and touring schedules and i was just sort of I don't know. It was at a time when I, we had, we just ran out of time and, but that was kind of cool because it put us under the gun and the album is a little bit more harsh sounding. And I think it would have been if I'd had a lot more time, I think it would have approached 
um, sort of the the lush, more, I don't know, I just think it's, it sounds a little harsh. It sounds a little more punk rock, you know, a little bit more harsh industrial. Yeah. A little more angry, threw a little bit more distortion on things just to get them to sit better in the mix. Um, uh, Mel Canhone working with Phil Anselmo, I think like, that he had his whole team of people on that and that was uh was amazing he's he's a real he, that guy's a hell of a musician man and uh he helped me a lot in that but i did they took a lot of control out of it for me i couldn't use a click track um there were some rules that they had you know that i interesting what i said that's really interesting like not using yeah, a click track as things like to be all live like, yeah yeah to, so it, it there so that there could be more of an ebb and flow to it right i mean that, that'd be the idea yeah, and now when I go back and listen to it, there's really an ebb and flow. Right? It's like it's like um, a little but, bit too much ebb there. <laughs> a little too much ebb, and uh, but but then going back to like drone machines, the the that's the similarity. That album for me, I had endless amount of time, and that's what it's all about. I just had you know pandemic started, and we sort of knew that we were going to be in the shit for a while, and I was able to yeah. just sit down and with <clears throat> once i got all the parts from everybody i i still had like four months to mix it and uh between jason and i and phil coming down and giving advice and i just got it to sound exactly how i wanted i, I have no complaints about this like the way that it sounded the heaviness of the low end um the sort of lush the the, the depth and breadth of like the low tone like it's it, it, the layers of the low stuff for me is like satisfying you know it hits the subs and it like fills your ears that's what i like you know it, it definitely seems like it's the kind of thing that would reward someone with a sound system with a subwoofer you yeah know? <laughs> rather than just like playing it unaccompanied through phone speakers was the first time i ever saw somebody do that i just was i was absolutely horrified where i was like oh what are you oh god but well you gotta got to make sure it sounds good on those but there, there's like the um when I when I listen to some of my favorite like doom records that are played by like live like stoner doom bands, I just don't yeah. understand how they. Where is their kick drum? You know. <laughs> oh, we left it at home, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah I hear you. No, no, I'm not going to name any bands, but like I came from like listening to like drum and bass and Godflesh and, and yeah. like dubstep and these types of music and, and, and it's all about the kick drum and the bass line and, and, and a lot of these bands I, I think like just turn the bass drum up. I mean, yes, I agree. I, I, I'm pro I'm pro, I'm pro kick drum and I'd vote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh well I Godflesh is a good example. Did you you know I think when you do a um when you're in a band such as yourself, right? You're gonna get a, like a lot of comparisons and people have a certain palette of bands that they compare to. Uh, and, and that's always been something that kind of, uh, from the beginning, actually in a different way, more towards now. I mean, I think if anything, like some of the newer stuff is like Jesu, if you're going to pick, pick a Broderick joint, <laughs> which I'm totally for as well. Yeah. But there's worse things to, to do than me compared to geniuses as well. Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's probably okay. Justin Broderick was just such a, a trailblazer, you know, he yeah. still is like, in terms of, yeah, guys, I've like got a techno project. He's done. He's mixed hip hop and metal in a way that most people can't do, and and they should never try to do it because they, they'll just fail you miserably. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's he's just one of the best. He can sing beautifully. He can be harsh. He can be aggressive. Um, 
I, uh, th there's a track, uh, Circle of Shit, which is on uh, Songs of Love and Hate. And I mm -hmm. just love this track because it's just got this like hip hop beat and it's, it's heavy, it's bassy, it's got guitar. It's like perfect. Like it's such a melding of all these genres. I love it. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's got a, he's got a long history of it, right? That, that, and that's, uh, that's fantastic. There, there's something to be said for, for knowing that, but, but it's, I mean, do you think, is that something where, I mean, do you get tired of hearing about it? Like of what people's ideas of it for author and punisher? No, no. I love the comparison. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's a huge influence. There's just no, you know, I've, I've crafted my own thing, you know, and, but I will, you know, if people say it's a Godflesh ripoff, well, it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. Uh, what is a body dome light, right? But, I mean, try to play like another band. You can't do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like that whole thing is like, I've tried to, you know, subconsciously model my voice after Scott Kelly, the oh, voice. Man. Yeah. You know, it was for, you know, it wasn't on purpose. It was just like I was in high school listening to him, and it was like when I went up and first screamed to the microphone, it was like. What was I? I was singing through silver and blood, you know, trying to sound like that. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and the, even with those guys, I mean, after a show, they're just spent, right? They're just, just like they've laid it all out there. I have a story with exactly about that. Exact oh, really? Thing. Okay, lay it on me. I got to play with Neurosis the first time. I think it was Southwest Terror Fest. Um, I don't know how much time we have. So, oh, yeah, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was Southwest Terror Fest. I think it was at the, I can't remember the venue in Tucson, but uh, like Sun was playing and Neurosis and some other bands and I was playing and we were sort of sharing a, like a, this green room thing in the back. And so I was used to, from the Phil Anselmo tour, like feel like the party. And so like after the shows, like after the show, like after his set, we'd all roll into the green room and yeah. party because Phil wanted the party. So neurosis, the first time they play, like I run out of the green room and I got some beers and I'm all a little bit tipsy and and uh, Scott and all of them, they've got like incense and the dudes are like laid back with their shirts off, you know, like very chill. Yeah, like exactly. the smell and the aroma and the whole vibe is like, you know, not. Not a house party, I'm yeah. <laughs> not, not wild antics backstage in any way, shape or form. <laughs> That's not to say that that didn't happen at some future shows. Those they do throw down, but I just it was just funny. It's like, oh, okay, everybody's got their own thing. I mean, do you like kick open the door with like a twelve pack under one arm and be like, hey, it's oh, hi it's guys, <laughs> sorry y'all. <laughs> man, these guys are intense. Well, but I mean, it's like look at the show that that they put on and that have put on for you know decades, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. there's nothing. It's like an exorcism practically. So yeah, yeah, it takes a it. lot out of them, you know. Especially, I just Scott is just you know one of these guys that just puts it all out there every night, and you can tell at the end of the show. Um, you know, even before he plays, like backstage, he's he's pacing around, you know, like getting in the mood, and you're like, yeah, do not get in his way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But well, be, be forewarned. You should know, but in case you don't, don't do it. Yeah. Although I will say, all, I mean, all those guys are are such absolute sweethearts of just pure soul human beings oh, you know absolutely yeah endless thanks and um they're just uh they've helped me so much got me my first start in europe get with agents and stuff and um so 
so getting back to the that's great by the way and i love i love i love the idea of you being the party monster in that situation and those guys not being in the party mood at all that's, that's pretty fantastic time to time. <laughs> I, did you when you when you started off doing author and punisher because and if i remember correctly you uh you played i mean you played a couple of metal bands before author and punisher right so was the idea that like let me just try this out and see if if I can even do this or did you have like a more overarching concept from the beginning? Well, the, the one man band thing I think was a sort of a result of, I had had a drum machine band with a guy, Sean McCumber, who actually is a writes a lot for a decibel magazine um, and uh, Rue Morgue. And, um, and he and I grew up in Southern New Hampshire. And I think when I was freshman and, high college we had a drum machine band called empathy test and and there was another band now there's another band called empathy test now who's more like um i believe like ebm synthwave stuff not the same band but we were doing like drum machine two guitars bass player my friend travis anderson and uh that sort of planted the seed of uh like i was programming the sr16 um Alesis drum machine um, and then I, and then when I was in college, I had a band that was called Falkirk, which was a more, uh, kind of metalcore, mass, early Mastodon, Neurosis kind of vibe. I was singing and writing a lot in that band. And then when I graduated, I went to Boston, broke that band up and, but never done any real touring, you know? Right. And, yeah. And so then in Boston, I had a band called, um, Born, which I really liked, which was much more progressive, like dueling guitar riffs and poorly harmonized vocals and and uh we spent so long doing it and then like there was like the guy one of the guys was had a kid there was you know somebody was smoking too much weed and couldn't pay the you know the rent for the space and so um when i went back to grad school i was pretty much over that you know i was like i'm not going to spend three years developing a band and then have to depend on three other people's like problems you know right like their their uh lives and interests and and uh obligations yeah and, he, and i do i i miss the collaboration because i learn a lot from other people um but i just know that i'm reliable and i'm hard working and uh like like with the cases and the tables and the making the making the instruments to fit the cases to make it actually so you can tour in fly places like um making the one man band was the only way that I could make this happen. You know, you know, I could, I, I know that I can have a one person band author and punisher, uh, and, uh, and I can rely on myself. So, yeah, but, but again, you have to, it's by the ticket, take the ride too, by the same token, right? I mean, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. Going, I mean, the, the thing about it was I, I mean, at least at the beginning, I mean, I, I didn't really start starting in 2004. We wrote the first album and it was guitar and drum machine. And I would play it to my fellow art students at the, the school at UCSD. And they sort of nodded along and just kind of let me do it. I don't know if any of them really liked it. You know? <laughs> it was politely tolerated was of metal in the whole department. I was just like, hey, I'm having a concert. And yeah. they would just come and have the beer. Yeah. Um, huh. And then slowly when I started playing more noise and less like industrial metal, I was doing noise for a few years, you know, three or four, five years. Basically it was just because I didn't know how to play the instruments properly. So it was like, right. 
So, so that, is the, was there like a learning curve towards that of like, oh, actually, this is musical when I, you know, pull this this way and <laughs> and it, it rotates at this particular uh, BPM or whatever. Yeah, it was an experimentation. You know, I was like, okay, I built, I got rid of all my like Marshall and Mesa Boogie stacks and and built my own sound system. So yeah. there was a guy, Matt Hope, uh, who's a, who's an artist that you can look him up. He is a like more came from rave culture in the UK and he was in the program at UCSD and he was like, you know, all that crap, all those like, you know, particle board cabinets are shit. You know, if you want to make a real sound system, you build it out of Baltic birch and you put, you know, you design it with software so that it can handle all of the wattage and everything. You can make real bass. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go build so your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's easy. Just build it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Build it. <laughs> but we had the facilities and we had nothing else to do. Um, so we, 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 he taught me how to build all that stuff. And um, so I built all these, built this big dub, like rave sound system for metal, like for industrial metal. Yeah. And then I was building these things. And so really at the beginning, I was just experimenting with sound. Like, how does this thing sound through this? And how can I get the most bass? Um, you know, fast forward now, it's like, I use some of that stuff, but uh, anyway, in the early early part, it wasn't that I was. A, I'm a huge fan of noise or drone metal, enjoying drone music. It's just it was kind of a, I'm gonna I'm gonna test everything out this way. Well, it's a good way to, to test out the capabilities of, of the the things you're using to make it, right? And then you can, yeah. hey, I've done that. Now I'm gonna do something else with this. <laughs> yeah, and like for example, like you know, you're playing a song, and I'm hitting the drum with my right hand, and I'm playing. The throttle making a pitch bend with my left hand through my software going through this big sound system and then i want to change parts so i want to change the sound that each of these things are going to make so i made a pedal board and i press a button that would change this thing in software so it got to the point where my setup was like playing this whole set sitting in a chair left hand right hand mouth microphone controlling i was blowing beats that were midi controller with my mouth forgetting the things that i was pressing i was probably drinking too much and you know, and it got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to really streamline this stuff. And so I started to learn the software more and, and started developing like ways to automate the changing of all the machinery, you know, the settings. So that was a big part of it is like the software to like making. So I, the, the extra member in my band was like software knowing when changes were happening. Yeah. And, and knowing how best to deploy that in a way that you know, it's not going to make you hopefully too in your head about it. So you can still perform the song, but it's also performing the task that it's there to do at the same time. Yeah. Yep. And, and just, you know, endless touring and endless failures, really. I mean, like just playing tons of shows and getting to the point where you every night you would just change a little bit, get on the laptop as you're driving around and change some stuff and rewiring things and eventually getting to the point where it was like, now I can get through sets with consistency. And I think I only had one, one tool show where I had a technical problem for the most part, you know, just because we, you know, every day it's like two hours before you sit in there and you test things out and check wires. And it's, it's a, it's a whole operation. I mean, it seems, <laughs> but I think that that's, you know, it, it's, it seems to me that you take the, the challenge of, uh, of it not not being easy like you have to want it 
you have to want to do it like a little bit. It, it's not easy, right? Like you have to, <laughs> and it's it, for me that kind of leads to some of the immediacy and also just the unpredictability of wh- whether it's true or not. It does kind of seem like the whole thing could fly apart at any minute. Uh, not not yeah. con- not like uh, that the compositions are, but I mean like literally the equipment sort of like oh wow that's that's this he's, he's building an unholy death machine and like at any minute like. <laughs> There is sort of like there there is sort of like a, a feeling of like I, I just remember like being a goalkeeper. I'm not a goalkeeper. My brother was in soccer, a big soccer fan. But he uh, it was like when you get scored on, you have to have a really short memory, you know, like because you just have to forget that it happened. You can't get bummed out about yeah. it. So like when I have a bad show on a date of a tour of like 23 days, like you just can't get bummed about it, and you just got to move on and say, hey, the next one's gonna be good. There was only. 25 people there anyway so who gives a shit you know there's um really keeping like a positive attitude about it well um, and that, yeah and that's one of the nice things about touring right is that you get you right. got a chance tomorrow to, to to do better if you feel that you didn't do well and and I, I would say also that the worst part of that is if you if you think that you played badly and then you, some of the merch table comes up hey man that was that was awesome and you're like oh yeah. thanks a lot mm. Yeah, yeah. Young musicians or whatever, starting musician, just play as many shows as you can and don't put too much value into any one of them. Um, yeah, it, it's more about the, um, it's the river, right? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> so there's 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 two things that I want to I want to make sure they do before before I let you go. Uh, one of which I want to talk a little more in depth about. Um, drone machines, like the company, not the. <laughs> You got so many things called drone machines, so I got feel like I have to be to stipulate. But got the album and the company, the yeah. album and the company, yeah. Um, so dronemachines.com, right? Like just for for folk, for folks that are curious. And so, what are you hoping to achieve with kind of unleashing this piece of it over to the world? I mean, you've got these like sound machines, right? That that do the thing. This is, a, I think, the perfect time. You know, people are. Uh, lockdown, trying new stuff. I think everyone's baking bread for a bit. Why not do some drone machines, right? Sure. Um, but but what what are you are you thinking? This is something that like other folks are going to latch on to for creativity and stuff like that. Is that is that the end goal, or is it just like put it out there and see what people do with it? Right. Well, that's a good question because obviously I don't think uh, what I do and the type of music that I play is not exactly the most popular type of music in the world and we the guy jason who's partner in this we talk about that a lot like we're not going to make these like industrial goth machines that you know spider webs all over them these are right but also like we understand that there's a sensibility of things being raw and there's not a lot of plastic and there's not a lot of edifice you know like we're not trying to make these things into this like they are the thing that they look like you know you slide it you push on it it's heavy um you're making an interface that is like you want to feel like you're in a little machine shop you know yeah you know you want to feel like you're moving dials you're at chernobyl you know like anything could explode (laughs) out of them totally yeah (laughs) chernobyl they did not like put rubber coating on their knobs to make them feel better you know like they were metal knobs and they harsh brutalist metal that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were pull, you were pushing a thing back with all your strength because nobody bothered counterbalancing it to make it easy to do. Yeah, <laughs> we want it to be. Yeah, we want this to be a really tactile 
you know, if you if you're if you have an instrument, um, you, we want it to feel good. Like so, we're gonna have um, things like uh, materials um, like concrete and wood and raw steel. You know, if you use raw steel, um, it rusts. So as you go, like the parts that your hands touch will sort of like polish the surfaces. Um, things like that that you you start to get this like relationship with your instrument you know right. that is you know you're not going to get a relationship with a with a an array of pads and say oh man these things change my life there's these rubber pads <laughs> and the way I eat like right i love this thing like oh my god if i didn't have this who would i be without this you know yeah and so like we're trying to make something that like you can play without looking you don't need to go through menus um, it's open source, so like there will be a community of people online and a forum where you can trade code. So you can program these things in a very down, like concrete way. Um, that's something I love that, that. We that's really great. Value. That, that's yeah. awesome because who knows what people are going to come up with, right? Somebody might come up with something. Oh my god, I never thought of that. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure they will because like we right now, you know, we we have limitations software wise. We're hiring some people to help us. But like we're gonna make this thing have the electronics so that you can do all sorts of things like controlling lights, you can control video installations, you can control sounds. Um, you know, eventually we we might put our own sound engines in them, so that like you know they are their own synthesizer because a lot of people will ask like, well, it's not its own. Does it make sound? And I'm like, well, okay, what types of electronic instruments make sound? synthesizers like moog synthesizers well that's just a controller with a built-in sound engine you know exactly it yeah have magic in it that makes sound it's like a so yeah we might do that but like our focus is really the hardware ball bearings metal um really high quality things that will last longer than you live i, I love that because i feel i feel like that's nobody's focus <laughs> yeah when you think about it guitars like a gibson guitar like you, you, these things get handed down through generations, you know, but like nobody's handing, I don't want to shit on any of the electronic music instrumentation companies, but like, like Circlon is a company, uh, Sequentix, they make a Circlon, it's a sequencer. This stuff is hardcore. People will have these for years. Yeah. You know? it's, it's built there to last. <laughs> High-end most of absolutely, Electron, um, there's some companies out there that do some really great stuff, but um it's just a shame, especially with climate change and, you know, sustainability. Like we need to start thinking about like, if you're going to make something, you're going to charge people money for it. Don't make it fail, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't make something disposable. That'll be, you know, purposeful obsolescence in like yeah. a year and a half. That's interesting. Well, I, didn't, I didn't even think about it from that perspective, but that makes a lot of sense really. Cause I mean, yeah. And if, if anyone ever balks at the price, that can be your go-to also, you know, you can be like, come on, man. <laughs> and, and then one other thing is just like from a performance perspective, we want these things to be, so you're standing on stage. You're not, you're not like standing and looking at like a desk, you know, you're <laughs> these things are stacked in a way that the perform the audience can see you playing it, you know? Yeah. And so it's sort of like we're thinking about that. So like from far away, you can see these things moving and you see the sort of the intricacies. We're trying not to hide some of that. Um, I hope people enjoy that. Well, it seems like it's it's a time for that, right? And that's been part of the nice thing about, you know, even just things like the the uh, the boutique guitar pedal revolution, 
Like just like people are more interested in, in, in like uh, the mechanics of stuff that, that maybe people were fine just being like, I push the button and it does the thing before. Now people are interested in it. And that's, I think that's good for people that are natural tinkers. It certainly seems to be good for people to have a unique setup such as yourself and make your own things. So this is a way to share into that world. I think I think it's a fascinating move and I'm I'm really stoked to see what happens with it, frankly. I am too. I'm not stoked about being a salesman, um, but I hope I don't. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, bring it to the merch <laughs> table, I guess. it's. Uh, but Customer service. Uh, yeah, that's... But, but get, get a person for that as soon as you can is my, my advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I, I don't, I want to, uh, um, I want to talk about the record too. It is, it is record Eve at, at the time of this recording, of course. And yes. I, I was wondering if you, uh, and I, I'm going to be mindful of your time, but, uh, I, I've been doing this thing past year or so where we kind of go through each song on the record and, and you can tell me, uh, any inspiration behind it, you know, the why the, why it's titled that way, uh, lyrics, arrangement choices, just whatever comes to mind. Is that something you think you'd be into? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yep. awesome. So let's do it. So uh, so, well, so let's start with the title. We'll start with the title. That's an interesting title. It's got an umlaut. Did you, were you not thinking about typing things out, or, or is that for our uh, you know, Deutsch friends? I yeah, we accidentally held the U a little too long and <laughs> on the iPhone – well, the name is a, the name is a, I'm trying to leave this on there as a little like kernel of a uh, mystery, uh, New England, uh, folklore, um, that's sort of based in my, I, I don't know, that's a little mystery in there, but the title sort okay. of is a, a little bit of New England folklore that it was, uh, maybe not around anymore days old. Um, but it sort of became this, it was this placeholder name that I was using for the album because it was going to be another project. Cooler was going to be like a, a electronic, like dub, like heavy, kind of like a zonal, which Dustin Broderick did. And yeah. Um, heavy, dark electronic. Um, but anyway, it was like placeholder name that became when I was talking to Zlatko Mitev, who did the artwork for the album, he, um, we were developing this sort of like futuristic world, post societal, like breakdown kind of like, apocalyptic world and they were these vehicles that he developed and the vehicle was sort of became a crawler oh cool um, so yeah it kind of a, a fictional we made it up more or less it, it reminds me a little bit of um like the artwork about like the like <laughs> like 90s role-playing games like rifts or something where it's like you yeah. know it, this this mdc weapon does you know like like stuff like that which i i totally dig but it's also got an aesthetic that feels like it could be on a trapper keeper uh, for a very cool person as well, and which is also cool. Uh, yeah, there's um, I was gonna say um, like Melk and Honig that, that album. I, I just sort of like like playing on these like words and like the yes yeah. the way uh, I can't think of the word right now. The way the, the, uh, the word uh, Portman Two Port, uh, is that it? Ooh. I've also been playing Dark Souls, and it feels like a weapon that I would get in Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic fantastic although i don't i hope no one knows that. i i can't get past one of these but anyway each song sorry <laughs> so drone drone carrying dread is what we're drone carrying dread um also that name it, it maybe someone will realize I, I i sort of riffed off of another song name that has a similar but yeah drone carrying dread is uh yeah parable of the sower a lot of the sci-fi novels i was reading during that summer it's an adventure like track about sort of um a, a crazy like violent event that happens that is a it takes me like take one on an adventure of survival um 
in sort of like imagining if things had really broken down as they looked like they were going to and might still. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so, tight, folks. We're not through it yet. <laughs> yeah, we're not through it yet. And it's like one of those songs. And, and I really the, the chord progression and the heaviness is really simple. But it, I feel like it hits you. And then the, the riff that Phil did and the parts that Jason wrote up high just kind of melded all together. Next up is uh, Incinerator. Incinerator is probably the heaviest track on the album, which the video will be coming out tomorrow. I'm pretty psyched. Uh, Ansel Wong, Fang, and, and James Rex Road really put together like a really fun, uh, oh man, it's got some like Gilliam kind of vibes. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we, 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 he was a brutal director and made me do all sorts of things I didn't want to do. Um, but that, yeah, that song is also about like uh, um, social unrest and like um, uh, fascist pigs and cops and all this kind of shit. Um, so, but it, it's much more violent, like climate change, climate uh, refugees, and all this kind of stuff, like exploding. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a good one for it. <laughs> uh, Centurion is after that. Uh, Centurion, I worked with Justin Chancellor. Uh, we got back from the tool tour, and he. And I kind of kept in touch and uh, we were going to do a track and I, I I had this, it was the one track on that album that was totally programmed. I, I didn't, all the tracks I, for the most part, Blacksmith a little bit, but Centurion, I, I, I programmed it. So I sent him the, uh, some beats and he started writing some bass riffs to it and I would add some synths and we went back and forth. And uh, right after January 6th riots, it's definitely got vibes there. It's kind of poking a little fun not just a little bit um yeah send modern day american legion american legion right (laughs) legion legion and legion yeah Yeah. (laughs) interchangeable really these days yep uh one of my favorites maiden star oh yeah this was this is my the one i connected with the most on the album um and speaking of jay you know jay i think definitely this is hits those sort of low heavy like fifths and like in the same way drone carrying dread like you hit those this was all about like tuning the subwoofers in my studio hitting these fifths you know with my keyboard and and then blending this this mini rack pitch bender that i have into it um so yeah yeah it's just a it's a little love song uh about uh things you know going to hell at the end of the world and um yeah, also a little torch vibes in there. I think like like totally. Hum and these bands. Yeah. Hum had a hum. album that came out. Yes, that, the, the one like, that came out uh, like two two years ago or something, right? Yeah, awesome yeah. album. So and like out of nowhere, just like surprise, Hum record. Like, wow, yeah, yeah fantastic. Surprise. This record kicks ass. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a cool video for that one too for uh, for Main Star. That's um, if I remember correctly. Oh no, we did one for Drone Carrying Dread. The, no, it's for Drone. That, okay, it's for. Oh, you're right. You're right. My bad. My bad. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Lockco did all the this amazing illustration for that. That's yeah. one's got the illustration. Okay, sorry. Yeah, uh, it's getting old. Uh, misery. Misery lyrically is you know, I was um, during the whole summer of uh, of protests and, and Trump's border wall was getting built on the southern border and near us in southern Sa- southeast San Diego and they were building a. Uh, wall and they were blasting and blasting through some of these uh, Kumeyaay uh, burial sites and they yeah. were finding bones 
And so there were people going out there to protest and try to stop the building of his border wall. So I was, you know, through connections through my wife, she does a lot of activism, found out that they needed people. So went out there. And so through that process, I just sort of learned a little bit about the Kumeyaay at San Diego and how they kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed out of our, um, out of the, uh, the places that had water in San Diego. Um, you know, basically anywhere that had any vegetation would grow. So they were pushed out into the hills. And anyway, so the song is about colonization and uh, just, it's not a very positive song. I'm not going to say anything like that. But, uh, and then it was largely a programmed beat. Um, I was playing it live, but it's a le very electronic sounding. And I did that because I was hoping that Danny Carey would play drums over it. And right. he had pulled his, uh, his, um, one of his muscles. Or oh no! Okay, weightlifting. weightlifting. I don't know that guy. Danny, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we were like down to the wire, and he was like, "I think I could do it." So he um, he threw the drums on, and it was like he did one take, and I was able to mix like all these Danny Carey drum tracks. I felt uh, I invited all my friends down. I was like, "You got to check this out. I got all the Danny Carey drum tracks." <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Why? Why? And why wouldn't you not? <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and to good effect, I would say, too, for that one also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It, to have, like, fills and, like, hi-hats, like, those are things I don't do. It, yeah, it's what it gives a unique sound because of that. And, and that's, yeah. uh, you know, as, as anyone. I haven't decided if live I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I probably, I can't really just sequence his drums, but sometimes I'll sequence stuff, and um, I don't know. It seems like too much. I can't have him along with me. It's going to be a more, it's going to be a different track live. Well, it's, I mean, I guess it would have to be, right? I mean, if you yeah. can't, <laughs> but, but that's fine too. It's still, I mean, it's still a good, good song without that. So it's just, what's going to have a different life in that, in that way. If you decide to play it. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, after that is the fantastic uh, Portishead cover, which is a band that I dearly love. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Dummy was the, is is just one of those all-time great albums um and they are you know the i've said this in too many interviews but I, i'll just say it again i feel like it's like the doom metal of the electronic world you know you know they're like I agree. The, like the uh they, the the um what's the word of the uh, sleep of you know trip hop and and dub dub and electronic and drum and bass and uh there's a darkness to what they do too that I think like translates well. I think it's more like melancholy. It, you yeah. know, that's what I feel like is for this album is the theme is like this sort of like, you know, it's melancholy, but it's kind of enjoyable at the same time. You know, you're you're a little bit bummed out, but you're drinking a bottle of wine and uh, you're gonna watch. Uh, I don't know. You're gonna watch like a large Trier movie, but you're gonna kind of enjoy it. I, I was gonna say <laughs> Fastbender, but that. It amounts to the same. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I Absolutely. mean, you know, and I actually tore, I played that song back in 2007. If you search on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, there's a author and punisher glory box it, musically listen to it. It's probably not the best quality, but I've been covering that song for a long time. And now I was able to do it how I wanted to. Awesome. Well, and, and like, I, I like the pacing of it too. I think it gives it a unique feel that way rather than it just being, uh, well, I mean, not that the pacing of the, the original is bad or anything, but it just gives it a, a unique feel. And I think that that's, I think that's nice for covers that aren't just, Hey guys, remember the thing? Here's the thing. 
<laughs> well, it's like when you update a song, I wonder if they went and played it now, like if they wouldn't replace some of the, you know, the bass tones to match the, the way things, you know, things change, you know? Right. You know, they have to make it sound really hit hard on a sound system. So uh, anyway. Well, they cool. did that. They did that live album that was at, uh, I think, Roseland Ballroom. And when yeah. they did, uh, what was the big hit? Sour Times. They 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 did it purposely, like more minor key and like a little more dirgy, mm. and like it sounded like really cool. Like it sounded more brutal. I guess is the best way to put it. If that's like, <laughs> yeah. but but I was I was like, oh, that's a great way to take your hit. So everyone gets to hear the song that you know you know like there's 25 percent of the people here that only want to hear that song and are, that's what they're here for. But do it in a way that's interesting for the musicians as well as well as for the diehards. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so blacksmith. Blacksmith is a track I did with with Jason. It was a we wrote this track together. Jason began Viter as he goes by, and um, I wanted to have a funny story about this track. I sent this well, I, I don't mean this in any disregard, but I sent this track to Health because we were going to do a collab track, and I sent them this track a year before we recorded this, and um, and they they sent it back to me and said, "Oh, we can't work with this," you know. I was like, "I was like, fuck!" I really wanted to hear them with what they did on it. That would have been but, crazy, uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? But anyway, there uh, we'll 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 get a track soon. But um, yeah, Jason, I wanted to have a track that sort of started with my normal like heavy like low things that blend together and then um, kind of evolve into just craziness, you know. And my drums are replaced by breakcore and jungle beats and stuff. So that's that track. Do you know Do you know Health from way back? Like uh... I've never met Health. But we we chat, you know. We just we just got in touch through you know because we have similar interests and uh, go in similar circles and stuff. And now we're doing this tour in the fall with Perturbator, um, so I'll get to get to hang out with them. Um, but hopefully that'll happen soon. Well, I, the only reason I ask is because uh, I mean, if I remember correctly, they're from like the Smell scene, uh, like the the LA club, the Smell, not like. Maybe yeah. Smell. I mean, I'm I'm in San Diego, so I've never maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have met them, but I don't think. And he actually, John is from San Diego originally, but I believe he lives up in uh, maybe LA somewhere near there. Right. So no, we we never met. Okay. Well, I mean, it's around the same time, so it's not outside the realm of possibility, right? But it also doesn't mean that everybody hangs out together too all the time. As I'm gonna hit him up this summer. Maybe we'll come up with. Something. There you there you go there you go. You'll you'll figure it out. You'll get that collab going, uh, and yeah. then. Last song in the record, title track. Crueler. Yeah. Yeah, this song is, a like the name, is a bit of a an adventure uh, into ambivalence. It, I don't know. It, I think this is one of those songs, like a lot of my previous like tracks, it, it's sort of a bit of a, I would say, like a free association of, uh, you know, just having fun with lyrics and thinking about, it's a much lighter track, I think, than than the rest of the album. Um, it's just kind of that, ends yeah. up, maybe maybe not the way that the the the, to- the song evolves musically, but at least from a lyrical standpoint, it's just kind of a it's a it's a fun track. <laughs> not, I, not much to say about that one. I mean, it's the title track, so it's 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 clearly there's some affinity towards it towards the record, right? Yeah, last songs are always a weird thing for me. Like the uh, Beastland on the last album was like. Yeah, I don't know. It just maybe maybe it's like, well, I don't know what to name the song. Let's just give it the title and track name, you know. 
<laughs> well, I th- I th- <laughs> that's definitely the case, I think, with a lot of the bands from the 70s. Like, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to do cocaine, man. Like, whatever. That's fine. You know. <laughs> but Yeah, there was, there was somebody that said that, you know that, I don't know if you, was that album Tarkus? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it well. I knew the album cover before I knew the album, but yes, I know it well. And so some of my friend Braden, who who produced the last album, was like, oh, yeah, this crawler with the truck on the front reminds me of Tarkus because it's got that truck. Oh, yeah. Because it's like a like the armadillo with like tank treads, as if I remember right. Kind of a nonsensical thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that that's kind of a similar vibe. I mean, of course, I didn't know the reference because I, you know, he would just know things like that. Yeah. <laughs> know things like the Tarkus album cover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but it's it's a uh, yeah it, it is it, it it's it, it's an armadillo with tank treads uh, and it's got a gun apparently too attached to it as well. But yeah, boy, that was and I guess History itself, I guess yeah. I guess Greg Lake was like, "Yep, looks good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, all right. <laughs> That's what we'll be saying twenty years from now. Forty uh, years from. Now. So with Crawler, you've got uh, I, I know the Bandcamp. You got a limited edition, um, uh, limited edition pre-order, and that's like the two LP. It's like the Black Ice of Spatter. I, I'm bringing this up because there's a lot of vinyl nerds to listen to the show, and yeah. um, as and then there's another, th- there's another LP set. Um, like the it's, it's like the oh it's pink and orange, pink and orange, right? It's it's the the, the two LP. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of cool stuff. It seems like coming with this. That's that's this record yeah i'm gonna be releasing some some merch um i was waiting till tomorrow um i you know i should have done it before but things have been so crazy on this record compared to other ones that um so yeah look out for that there's gonna be some new merch um some more tour dates announced uh we're adding tijuana um as well really? wow yeah that'll okay. be march 5th before la and then um uh changing some venues it's not like other tours man like everything is like Oh, that venue canceled. They're closed. Oh, fuck, you know. Like, yeah. So um, going to Russia. So, you know, like maybe we'll be in war. Or maybe you'll be stuck in prison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? Anything, anything can happen. Back to touring. Agent just wrote, he's like, oh, do you want to add Kiev in between these two shows? I'm like, uh, I, I guess so. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, authorandpunisher.bandcamp.com. You can also get it. Yeah. At, uh, of course, uh, through uh, Relapse. That's uh, if you if you've heard of if you've heard of that place. <laughs> Holy Mountain carries a lot of my stuff. They pretty much are the U.S. seller for all the AMP merch, and then Evil Greed over in Europe has the LPs, and we'll be releasing some merch as well tomorrow if you're in Europe. Um, we're looking to add some other ones, but yep. Killer. Awesome. Uh, Tristan, I want to thank you for spending so much time with me. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I, last question I have, it's the only can question I ever ask, and you can choose to interpret it however you like. Okay. Why do you do what you do? Oh, man, I think it's just uh, the whole adventure of everything. I, I think as much as I, I stress out over which tables that I have um, <laughs> and, uh, and have way too many Pelican cases, I... Uh, I just enjoy getting in a van and heading off to a new location every day and, uh, and tasting new food and meeting new people. Um, so. Well, I'm glad you get to do it and I hope I get to, to see it at some point, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was, this was fun. Uh, it really, uh, really chill atmosphere. I enjoyed it. Take care, brother. Take care. Safe travels. See you later. Thanks. There he goes. 
Tristan Schoen. Author and Punisher. Cool guy. So, yeah, get that uh, Author and Punisher, Bandcamp.com. Get that pre-order if you uh, are a vinyl person and if you like things that are cool. Uh, so let's listen to uh, let's listen to Maiden Star. Actually, that's that's a good one. Um, yeah, and as always, ProtonCoverse.com for the archives. Always free, no ads, no sponsors. No kidding. Thanks for watching and listening, new listeners. All right.
All right. Maiden Star, author and Punisher. That's a crawler. That, if you are listening to this live, that comes out tomorrow. For everyone else, that will uh, that has come out. So uh, go get it. It's in the it's in the area where the cool stuff is on the internet. <laughs> it's also authorandpunisher.bandcamp.com. Uh, Relapse Records, all that good biz. Brand new, 2022. Anyway, name of this show is Code Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you so much for listening to it. This show broadcasts Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com. Say yes to Nope. Also Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, I suppose. Whatever the kids are up to. Yeah, the kids. Archives always free, protonicreversal.com. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. As we come to the close of our broadcast If you like the show and you want to get episodes sooner, uh, $1 a month at the patreon.com slash protonicreversal will absolutely, positively, 100% achieve that goal. Also help support the show. Mr. and Mrs. America and all ships at sea. Thanks everyone for sharing the show around. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Liking, subscribing, all that business. Uh, all that really helps. Uh, Protonic Reversal, also on Instagram, Protonic.reversal. Twitter. Watts of Protonic Reversal Pod, I think. Facebook Protonic Reversal Show. I should really have those be standardized, huh? Anyway. (laughs) Protonic Pod for Twitter. See, I'm giving out the wrong names. Anyway, I appreciate all the support and uh, folks helping conspire the fire. Protonic Reversal. Still on top. Can you hear me now? Stay safe out there. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. And take it easy. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, Can you hear? 